South Sudan in focus on the voice of America. I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington working on this program via remote. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan this Thursday, December 15, 2022. A South Sudanese group is calling on the government to declare December the 15th a day of remembrance to honor the victims of the conflict in South Sudan. And this day South Sudan peace monitors say violence in some parts of the country could derail the implementation of the 2018 peace agreement. RGMEC is deeply concerned over the escalating violence both up and down and jungle states, with innocent lives being lost, thousands displaced, livelihoods and property destroyed. We will have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. A South Sudanese group that documents the names of victims of violent conflict in the country is calling on the government to declare December 15 a national day of remembrance to commemorate hundreds of thousands of people who have lost their lives since the start of South Sudan civil war on this day nine years ago. Dawood David is executive director at the Juba-based organization Remembering the Ones We Lost. He tells me a public and collective acknowledgement of the victims of conflict in South Sudan would help bring the nation together to heal and renounce violence. This is a very important day. This is December is a very important day. And this day actually came two years after South Sudan had so-called independence. And it is the dark day in the history of South Sudan. And a lot of things have happened after the 15th, because on the 15th, that is when the, the, the violence started. But, and after that one, it continues even after the people still fighting, and so many lives have been lost. And, 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 and we feel like this should be a good game for us to, 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 to think about the lives that are being lost after the last survival. And, and, and this is very important. Because, like, if 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 there's examples like in Rwanda, but then they commemorate for 40 days the last cross as a result of the genocide that has happened in the entire country. And and what is happening comes to that in that there's so many lives that are being are being lost on the day. Despite this reality, there's no uh, official commemoration of such a day. You know, when you commemorate the first of all, it, 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 it shows that you have acknowledged there is something wrong has happened, and you have to move on, you have to go on after that. And what do you hope to achieve by documenting the names of the victims of war in South Sudan? We hope for the people of South Sudan to know that a lot of lives are being lost as a result of the violence, and therefore there is no need for, 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 for people to continue the violence. People have to put an end to the violence. People disagree. This is a normal thing in life to disagree. But when there's disagreement, people should be back to, to, to violence. When our aim is instead of disagreement, let the people sit down, let the people dialogue, let the people reach a, a, a settlement to, 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 to their differences without resorting to the violence. 
We have different estimates of the death toll from the South Sudan Civil War, which started in 2013. A study funded by the U.S. State Department in 2018, for example, uh, put the number at almost 400,000 people, half killed as a result of direct violence and the other half as a result of disease, hunger and other war-induced circumstances. What is your estimate of the death toll of the conflict in South Sudan? We don't want to make an and, 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 and this is our point. For us, we are naming the people. We, like now, we say, uh, at, at the moment, we have documented 20,785 uh, people. And these people that we have documented, we know their name, we know from where they are coming, we know where they are working, and we know the circumstances about the country. We know their age, we know their men, or, 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 or they, their men and female, we know them. So, for us, we are giving names to that history. So it's going to be a process, but at the end of the day, we want to, to honor the lives. We want to honor the lives of each and every person, because these person, these people who are here, there are so much fear. Some of them are fathers, some of them are mothers, some of them are children, grandfather, grandmother. These are people, they belong to their families, and they are being cherished by their families. And we want to, we want to, we want to acknowledge that. It's not just in one community, but it's just in the whole country. So that shared suffering, if we know, yes, I don't want me who have lost my brother, my sister from the other community has also lost. Then this will become something that will bring people together. In your statement, you called on the government to make December the 15th uh, some sort of national day of remembrance. Uh, tell me more about that and its importance. We want the government to declare this as a remembrance day. And, 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 uh, why we want this to happen? It is, first of all, it shows that, that the, what has happened on the 15th of December has really been acknowledged by the government. And not only that one, but during this acknowledgement, then it comes completely uh, on such a day the government will be issuing statements, uh, the leaders will be talking about it, calling for people to consign. So it is, it, you are now talking to public because you have acknowledged, now you really get the public. And this one, will help the people to, uh, if someone has an anger, someone has, has, has a, a, a thinking of revenge, then you know, now our leaders are calling us not to, not, not to fight, our leaders are calling us to reconcile, our leaders are, are asking us to leave the people, to leave what has happened behind. That was Dawood David, Executive Director of the South Sudanese Organization, remembering the ones we lost. A body monitoring the South Sudan's peace is warning that ongoing violence in Upper Nile and Jongule states runs the risk of derailing implementation of the 2018 revitalized peace agreement unless it's urgently addressed. The interim chairman of the reconstituted Joint Monitoring and Evaluation Commission, R.J. Max, says the government should empower City Sam VM to investigate the root causes of the violence and take action. Deng Gaideng reports for VOA from Bor. Speaking in Juba yesterday at the 25th RJ McManley meeting, the group's interim chairperson, Charles Tai Gitwai, said national authorities should put resources together to bring an end to the subnational conflicts. He says unless immediate action is taken, the fighting in Upper Nile and Jungle could destabilize other parts of the country. Citizen VM is a multinational body that monitors compliance with the South Sudan Peace Agreement signed in 2018. The body has monitoring and verification teams located in nine of the most conflict-affected parts of the country. 
RGMX is deeply concerned over the escalating violence both Upper Nile and Jungle states, with innocent lives being lost, thousands displaced, livelihoods and property destroyed, if not addressed urgently. The wider ramification of such violence could destabilize the ongoing implementation of the peace agreement. Getwai says it is important that the ceasefire transitional security arrangements monitoring and verification mechanism or citizen VM which reports to RJMEC be given the necessary resources to investigate and evaluate violent incidents. In terms of humanitarian affairs, according to UN OCHA, an estimated 9.4 million people are expected to have humanitarian and or protection needs in 2023, an increase of half a million people since 2022. As we know, there are growing concerns that the magnitude and the severity of humanitarian needs are persistent and rising. RJMEC is responsible for monitoring and overseeing the implementation of the revitalized peace agreement and the mandate and task of the Artigonu, including the adherence of the parties to the agreed-to timelines. The team patrols the areas of responsibility and gathers information on potential violations of the agreement and reports that information to the headquarters in Juba for further action. Gitwai says RJMEC continues to face obstacles in executing the monitoring mandate, including being denied access to key information. Sister VM has written further violation reports about denial of access, information, harassment of Sister VM personnel at Winliet Catonment site in Central Equatorial State and recruitment and training of in Northern Bargasel State. Gitwai stressed that regional bodies such as EGAD and the African Union have shown a commitment to building on the progress the country has made in finding lasting peace, but says the government should match that level of determination. In a statement released yesterday, the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Volker Turk, said at least 166 civilians have been killed and 237 others injured in the last four months as clutches have intensified in South Sudan's Upper Nile State. Turk called the violence appealing, adding over 20,000 people have been displaced due to the violence in Upper Nile State since August. This week, the South Sudan People's Defense Force said it deploy troops to the Sholo Kingdom in Upper Nile State to de-escalate continued violence between the Aguelek militia loyal to Gerald Johnson Olunch and an armed militia from neighboring Jongle State called the White Army, which invaded the area. South Sudan's army spokesman told South Sudan in focus the soldiers were given explicit orders by President Salva Kiir to end the fighting. For VOA News, I am Ding Guiding in Bor. The South Sudan Freight and Forwarders Association is welcoming bilateral trade deals reached between the governments of South Sudan and Kenya, allowing South Sudan-bound cargo to be cleared in Mombasa rather than Nairobi. The general manager of the association says... Clearing cargo directly from Mombasa helps importers avoid paying double charges on goods imported to South Sudan. For VOA News, Manyang David Mayar reports from Juba. During his visit to Juba on December 3rd, Kenyan President William Ruto announced South Sudanese goods imported through the Kenyan port of Mombasa are free to be cleared at the freight terminal South Sudanese traders prefer. The government of Kenya has now clarified our position that goods out of the port of Mombasa can be cleared either in Mombasa, in Nairobi, or Naivasha. 
There are no restrictions on your business, people, and your trade on where they clear goods. The South Sudan Fried and Forwarders Association embraced the move. Daniel Chol, general manager for the South Sudan Fried and Forwarders Association, says where goods are cleared in Kenya affects prices of goods in South Sudan. He says clearing South Sudan-bound cargo in Mombasa is good for all South Sudanese. Not only South Sudan provided a station and the business community in Mombasa, uh, that one is good too with the citizen of South Sudan because there's no uh, double uh, charges uh, for Mombasa to to Juba. Because uh, when the thing are in Nairobi, the the traders are paying the, the double for transporting the thing from Mombasa to Nairobi and from Mombasa to South Sudan. That one is very positive to the traders. In July, the South Sudan Fried and Forwarders Association clashed with the Customs Division over the transfer of South Sudan cargo from the port of Mombasa to Nairobi. In a letter seen by South Sudan in Focus, the association said the Commissioner of South Sudan Customs Division, Major General Akola Yi, had unilaterally transferred the clearing of South Sudan transit cargo from the port of Mombasa to Nairobi Freight Terminal, accusing him of nepotism. Aye denied the charge. Chol says South Sudanese consumers and business owners will see a big change once South Sudan cargo is cleared in Mombasa. I told you last time, uh, during the transfer of the, of the terminal to, from Mombasa to Nairobi, I told you this one is going to increase the dollar and it's going to increase the charges of the commodities in the market. And this is happened right now, as you know, the dollar now is the rate of the... Uh, 60, 67 or 68, hmm. you know. But I'm sure uh, when the work is cut for Mombasa, the thing has been cleared for Mombasa and for Mombasa to give the dollar will be reduced up to the minimum of the 43 or 50. South Sudanese car importer Kai Malwal says Kenya's offer to give South Sudan a dry port in Mombasa is good news for everybody. When you have a good coming outside the country, they give you nine days. After nine days, there is what is called CNF, which is a place for the, those of the Kenya Revenue Authority. You go there, you put your thing there, either it is a car or a container. After nine days, they charge you according to the, 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 the feed that you have it. They calculate according to the matters. How many matters? Which is two matters, three matters, they calculate according. But if they give land, if they give land to South Sudanese, it's good. You can go there. You just say the South Sudanese that is charge you. But I don't know how much they charge for a day. Like other landlocked African countries, South Sudan uses the port of Mombasa to import most goods. For VOA News, I'm a young David Mayor in Juba. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, the United States commits $20 billion to fund health programs in Africa. Find out more on that story after this break. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today... What job would you be really bad at and why? 
if I was to be a doctor, I don't think I would do it well because I'm not actually confident at uh, treating people. But I have that humanity of uh, I can treat someone well, what? but I can't treat you like a patient. I'll be really bad at any job that would tell me what to wear. I'm a person that doesn't like to use tie, especially. So any job that would tell me I have to talk in, I have to use tie, I have to resume by 7 a.m. and all, I'll be bad at that job because it's not part of my ethics. I'm not so good with handling gadgets, electronics, and also I believe I'll be very bad at computer engineering. I wouldn't know how to go about it. I wouldn't know how to fix you know, things here and there. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. You're listening to South Sudan in focus on the voice of America. The United States plans to commit over $20 billion to health programs in Africa for the next three years as part of a $55 billion aid package to the continent. The announcement comes as the administration of President Joe Biden hosts a three-day meeting with African leaders. VOS Stephen Harmon has this report. Speaking to African leaders Wednesday at a business forum, President Joe Biden said the United States is all in on Africa's future. And he announced new trade opportunities and infrastructure commitments, including for clean energy and the digital economy. And improving Africa's infrastructure is essential to our vision of building a stronger global economy that can better withstand the kinds of shocks that we've seen in the past few years. The U.S. president is facing some criticism for not interacting individually with the visiting African leaders. Administration officials say soon Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris and some cabinet secretaries will individually be visiting Africa for detailed discussions. Steve Herman, VOA News, Washington. A $1.6 billion lawsuit has been filed in the High Court of Kenya against Meta, the parent company of Facebook. It accuses the company of fanning regional instability and ethnic cleansing during Ethiopia's civil war by allowing certain posts to go unchecked. The lawsuit is filed in Kenya because petitioners say Facebook's algorithm is applied there, and the continent moderation decisions that affect the larger part of Africa are made in Kenya as well. Abraham Mirak is one of the plaintiffs in the lawsuit against Facebook. He tells my colleague James Batty his father died because of the post on Facebook and he wants to make sure that no other family suffers the same fate as his family. Mirak also says the money will benefit all victims of the alleged hate and violence incited on Facebook. Facebook was not immediately available for comment. Generally, as I am an active social media user, I strongly believe that Facebook is a big gun in Ethiopia. Uh, it's a big platform that influences Ethiopia and Ethiopia, especially in uh, the political aspects. So the first thing is I believe that Facebook is used as a propaganda of war, genocide, and ethnic cleansing that's happening in Ethiopia. It's also a direct responsible platform for the tragedy, what we are suffering, the extrajudicial killing of our beloved father, Professor Mara Gamara, after two posts on the platform that caused immediate danger and uh, it was considered as a distress for our father. So that's why I just took the case to the Kenyan court expecting justice. 
Let me ask you. You said that Facebook ignore racist messages. Can you describe those messages? There are numerous posts that aggravate uh, or fuel uh, warmongers and genocide enablers to take action, mob action against innocent Tigrians since the war broke out on November uh, 3, 2020 as uh, different media platforms suggest almost 100,000 of people lost their life due to the protracted conflict. And I believe that Facebook is a brigade of army that sponsors to gaslight false information and hate speech on the civilians. Particularly to uh, my father's case, there are two posts directly by uh, father's name address he lives and some other details that is connected with the politics and the war going on. Unfortunately, my father was innocent. Before filing the lawsuit, did you ever try to reach out to Facebook to complain? Yes, I was trying to reach Facebook. The options they provide online, there are different algorithms, reporting mechanisms that and a user report anything against their interest. So I was trying to reach them for multiple times before, during, and after November 3. So what did they say? The report I have got from the feedback, they do have a community standard policy. And from the report, they said that it was too late. It was on November 11 that I have received the first feedback saying that they just find, uh, find out the posts against their community standard or policy and removed it. I also got additional notification saying that they just removed the other posts that uh, they didn't remove at all, especially that was the first post by the Facebook page. Then after, in December 2022, I was trying to uh, reach them by reporting that the Facebook page responsible for the tragic death of uh, my father, but they said it doesn't go against their uh, policy, so they didn't uh, try to uh, close or take measures on the page. So you are suing Facebook for at least a billion dollars. What are you going to do with the money? Well, besides the money, we're going to have demands that we expect Facebook to publicly apologize for our family, for the fidelity to remove or to take measures on that death sentence posted on Facebook, and at the same time to ask apology for other victim families in Ethiopia and elsewhere. The second demand we have is also demanding that Facebook invests in safety to stop such charges to happen in the future. And yes, as you mentioned, we sue them to pay a proper money to all the victims and at the same time to employ moderators and others. So honestly speaking, uh, as a family, we have a plan ever since of this tragedy, especially we are planning to, to establish a foundation on the name of our father to celebrate his legacy and as he was the most known influential chemist in the country, we are planning to build laboratories and libraries on his name. That was Abraham Merrick speaking with VOS James Batty.
The record-breaking drought in the Horn of Africa has affected half the population of Somalia, including the breakaway region of Somaliland. The United Nations says if more aid does not arrive soon, Somalia will suffer its worst famine in half a century. Juma Majanga has this report. It is lunchtime at Hebak Hussein's rag-touched hut in Ainabo camp for the internally displaced in Somaliland's Buro district. Today, the family is eating donated white rice. The 26-year-old mother of four moved here a couple of months ago after walking more than 100 kilometers with her children to seek aid after drought killed all her livestock, which she says was her only source of livelihood. Hussein says she was left with nothing and didn't want to end up dying with her children in the forest. So, she moved to the camp in search of relief. But even in the camp, life has not been easy. Hussein says sometimes she doesn't have any food to feed her children and they are forced to go to bed hungry. As a mother, she says, she feels very pained about that. Many Somalis are nomadic pastoralists with livestock diminished by deadly drought affecting 7.8 million people across Somalia. Large populations have moved to IDP camps to seek relief aid. Hussein is among the 1.6 million. The UN High Commission for Refugees says have been displaced by drought in the country in 2022. More than 300,000 more are facing famine according to the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs. Amran Shire is the humanitarian program manager for Care International in Somaliland. We are actually receiving a limitless number of people dropping out from their nomadic pastoral lifestyle because the drought is so severe that there's no pasture for livestock, there's no water for both livestock and human consumption. More than 14 million people are struggling with hunger fueled by a record drought in the Horn of Africa that has killed more than 10 million animals. Juma Majanga for VA News, Buro, Somaliland. And that's all we prepared for you this Thursday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you miss this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with the song Junubia by Mawa. I'm your host, Nabil Biagio in Washington. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. Remember to join us tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.
Gonna let me go. 